GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big bait of the internet. Don't get caught in the hype cycle. I'm Jay Bird, joined by my co-host, Kyle Reedhead, and we believe that blockchain and everything that's going on this week is going to change the world. The vibes are high. That's why we're carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3. We've got a big one today. Lots about Web3 social. So we're going to dive into that. Kind of leading the charge here outside of Frontech, of course, is Farcaster. So we'll talk about what they're up to. Some big announcements coming that way. Obviously, we'll go back in the Frentech world and t- give some updates on what's happening there. But Coinbase and USDC have a big time partnership. So we've got to talk about that announcement. Solana Pay on Shopify. This is huge. So we'll, of course, we'll talk about that. $5 mobile plans for data in the US, all because of blockchain. This is insane. And then we're going to talk a lot about what's going on with OpenSea, NFT marketplaces, and just a bunch of NFT fails. In fact, we're not even going to do a quick hits today. We're just going to do a quick hits on NFT fails, but it should be a good one. This should be a good one. Jay, what are you grateful for though? I am grateful for our community. I'm grateful for all of you, our listeners. It's it's tough to build a business in a bear market. And it's amazing that we have been able to not only continue to progress our business, but we've grown our business through the bear market. And that is all Thanks to you, every single person that's listening in today and to all of our podcasts, everybody that's in our Discord, that's on our Twitter, that's subscribed to our newsletter, that signs up for our courses. I'm so grateful to each one of you. It's exciting times for all of us. And I know that the next year is going to be the year that we all take big steps forward in our investments and in our projects and everything that we're building. And I couldn't be more excited to do it alongside each one of you. Wow. Well said. I'm on board with that one. What are you grateful for, brother? I am outside of that. I'm also grateful for that. But outside of that, I'm grateful for my health. My girlfriend has been just significantly sick the last few days, just cold or flu or whatever, but she's basically been bedridden for two and a half, three days now. I don't know how I didn't get sick. I've been with her the entire time, sleep in the same bed, you know, eat the same food, all the same things. And I've been all good. And so just very grateful because she's like not even been able to work. And so I would absolutely just hate if I couldn't do that. So I'm happy that I'm healthy. I'm also grateful that you're healthy. (laughs) I did not realize that she had gotten whacked out by a sickness. So hope she feels better soon. She's coming around today. She felt a lot better this morning. That's good. That's very good. Let's jump right in. But before we do, Kai, we always like to take a minute for Market Watch. Give us the update. What's going on in the markets right now? Yeah, not much. We'll keep this one super, super quick. As we've said, I mean, the summer lows, like this is just how it works, right? Things are slow. You need patience. That's the big word right now is just some patience. So it's just going to be choppy. We've had obviously a big down market in the last week. Some people get scared. Hopefully you just use that as a buying opportunity. Again, as long as the tech is improving and the activity is still growing, which it definitely is right now, then you got nothing to worry about. Price is just noise. So when we're too much about that, even like equities are going through a, a big pullback at the moment. Equities went up, you know, 40%. Bitcoin and ETH in the first six months of the year went up 80 and I think 60%. It's very natural to have a pullback during those times. This doesn't mean it's over. And this was, you know, we're still in the bear market. It's just when you go up 80%, 60%, even like Tesla and a lot of these equities went up like 40, 50%, some even more. It's so natural to have a pullback. And so this is normal. So don't be afraid of that. Just either buy or just keep holding on. Just chill out. And uh, let's just wait. Equities, I think, are going to see a quick turnaround in the coming days to weeks. Plus, we have the big stuff coming with crypto in terms of the Ether ETF, futures ETF. And then who knows what Bitcoin spot, but that's likely coming as well. So a lot of good news ahead. And uh, I think this is just a natural pullback. So nothing really to, to be concerned of today. Yeah, it's funny how we're in that state of just like not the August and September, just chill out, why yeah. sideways movement or down movement and how quickly we all stress out about like a 10% drop, a 20% drop. But as you said, we're just seeing a little bit of a pullback. It doesn't mean that we're entering some down only trend that just happens. To be fair, on fr- I think it was Friday or Thursday last year or last week, the markets went down 9% in four yeah. minutes. It was pretty insane. We wrote an article about that. 
but the key thing here is like, this is normal and this is going to happen again, but we often always forget these moments. Like when price goes green and it's just like, it goes up 20% a day. You remember that if you were here back then, and it's so normal to you, but you always forget the big pullbacks. And so for some reason, we're so surprised we have pullbacks, but we're not surprised when number goes up. And so these are moments where like, go journal, write down how you felt during this time so that the next time we have a 10% pullback, because it will happen, it'll happen 10 times in the next year, at least. Okay. What you felt on Friday will happen again and again and again and again. And you need to start understanding your emotions when those happen so that you don't trip the hell out, which a lot of people were doing. And so I like to journal in those moments, go, how do I feel? Am I overexposed? Like, why am I invested in this? And just write down my thoughts. And then the next time it happens, you can go back and look at it and be like, oh, wow, I actually feel the exact same as I did that time. And look, now we're $400 more than we were that time, you know, because it ends up going up over time. And so journaling could be a great practice to just like understand your emotions during markets, which if you took the course, I talk a lot about the psychology of investing and how emotions are the biggest problem when it comes to investing and the biggest skill you need to learn. So give a lot of tips there, but that's a quick tip for you. Yeah, Kai's referring to our investing course. Link is in the show notes if you want to check that out. Kai, we got some exciting news coming out about our newsletter as we have moved on chain with Paragraph. And now you can connect your wallet to our newsletter and get our newsletter in your wallet, in Coinbase Water on Lens Protocol. This is freaking awesome. Yeah, I finally had some time to like play around and test this out. So basically, Paragraph allows you, there's a few things that Paragraph does, which we've already talked about, of how you can collect our articles as NFTs, et cetera. But the one cool feature that they just introduced was integrating XMTP, who we've had on the podcast previously, which is basically your like decentralized encrypted messaging platform that you know, is composable amongst many apps and wallets, et cetera. Coinbase wallet uses it. So does Lens Protocol. I finally set up my Coinbase wallet just the other day, which is just light years ahead of MetaMask. I don't know why anyone uses MetaMask anymore. And within there, I can see all my newsletters from all the Web3 Academy newsletters from Paragraph, which is just super cool. And so if you have Coinbase wallet, then what you can do, and or if you use Lens Protocol, you can take your wallet address, go to your Paragraph account. So just click on any of our newsletters and go to and just log in, go to your dashboard and you can add a wallet if you haven't already done that. And one, it makes it easier to like collect things and to mint the NFT if you become a pro subscriber. It also allows us to like airdrop things and do different like cool things for you. But also you'll start receiving the newsletters inside of the wallet rather than, I mean, you'll also get them in your email if you prefer that, but you can get them in both. So just kind of a cool new feature. And I think that'll start to pop up in more places than just Coinbase Wallet and Lens, right? Yeah. And I think as well, this is why we're here early, is to be the early adopters of on-chain tech, because we believe that on-chain will be not only be the future, but it'll be a better future for brands, for users, for all stakeholders in business and in online and on-chain. And we've got some exciting stuff that's coming up. So there will be definite benefits to those who go and take this step and connect your wallet to your email account on Paragraph. So do that if you haven't already done it. Really, really stoked about this. Do it up. Connect that wallet, guys. Okay. So much news today. So much to get into. But before we jump in, we just need to take a minute to hear from our sponsor. Modern newsletters are built on Paragraph. That's right. Paragraph is a brand new newsletter platform that combines the best parts of Web 2 and Web 3 to supercharge newsletters for both writers and readers. Build a community, not just an audience. Paragraph uses blockchain tech to allow readers to collect and own the words that matter to them. This takes reading a newsletter to the next level. With Paragraph, readers can mint, collect, and show off quotes from their favorite newsletters. This opens new possibilities like creators sharing revenue with fans. I also love their new feature, Paragraph AI. This integrates GPT-4 natively in Paragraph create, edit, and improve your writing effortlessly with one click. And guess what? We at Web3 Academy are on board and have already moved our content over to Paragraph. We believe this is the future of newsletters because of the profound engagement it creates between creators and fans. So whether you're a creator, writer, or an avid reader, it's time to check out Paragraph and capitalize on the opportunity of being early. Speaking of Paragraph, there they are again. It's really still in the show today. We love them. They're, you know, not only are they our sponsor, they're a great builder in the space. We're big fans of them. 
Let's jump into our first story, Kai. Web3 Social is really heating up with FriendTech, with Farcaster, Lens Protocol, so much going on in the space. First big news is coming out of Farcaster this week. What's going on? Yeah, so the first one, Farcaster's announced that they are launching on top of Optimism. So Farcaster, we don't talk about much, but they are basically a another Web3 social platform similar to that of Lens, but built in, in different ways, different features, et cetera. We have had some newsletters on them, but basically they have announced that they'll be moving on to Optimism Mainnet. It should happen within the next week or so. And basically what this is, is that the accounts will be minted on top of Optimism. The actual protocol itself of what's called Warpcast is its own protocol. It's not It's not on top of Optimism. So it's a different story. We'll go into the details another time. We're not going to do that today. But this is big news. One, for Farcaster. Two, I mean, for Optimism. They're just, they're killing it right now. They've managed to bring in some of the biggest you know, applications that are happening in this space. We now have WorldCoin that's moved from Polygon over to Optimism. Sound that has moved from just Ethereum to now being on Optimism. Farcaster now on Optimism. And then, of course, Base is using the OP stack. So just so much going on with Optimism right now. Super bullish over there. And then on the Farcaster side, if we want to go back. So one, within the next week, as long as things go well, they'll be launching on Optimism. The next announcement they said is that within two months from when they go live on Optimism, which is ideally the next week, they will have permissionless signups. So right now, Farcaster is a is in beta. And so you need an invite to get on, just like FriendTech, just like Lens Protocol. And they've all had to do this just to like work out the kinks and stuff. It's tough to build a social platform. It's even harder to do it when it's on chain and so and when it's decentralized, et cetera. So it looks like the first to go fully open is going to be Farcaster. Who knows? I don't know the plans of FriendTech or Lens, but Farcaster in the next two months. So some point in October, most likely, they will open up publicly, which is pretty cool. And part of that is when they open up publicly, anyone can sign up for an account. The way it works, though, is to get an account, you actually have to pay $5 a year in order to get an account. Why would they do this? One, to stop all the bots, right? Once you just charge just a little bit, it's only five bucks, not much, get rid of bots. Two, it gives you your account and ensures that you get that account. Remember, this is an account that's controlled by a company. You own that. No one can delete that, can get rid of that. So there's a bit of a charge there. And then the other reason is it generates revenue to the platform where you don't necessarily have to do things like ads. Now, maybe they still will. Who knows? You'll likely have multiple revenue streams like Twitter does today. But this starts them out with getting a bit of revenue that they can then use to incentivize people to help decentralize the network. How they're going to do that, I'm not exactly sure. We'd love to get Dan on the podcast to explore their sort of business model and, and their incentivization model. But ultimately, revenues are needed in some way. And I think the amount that we use social platforms, everyone should be completely fine with paying five bucks a year to use the social platform. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I pay eight bucks a month on Twitter. And I'm more than happy to do that. And so Farcaster, I have no problem paying. But I think the thing that this does is what happens with Lens. Lens is obviously in competition somewhat with Farcaster. They've both been in beta for, I don't know, over a year now. And so my assumption here, and I do not know, I have not talked to Lens about this, so this is pure speculation, is if Farcaster is going live and open, I got to assume Lens is going to be racing to do that as well because we've got some competition. And then who knows about Frentech? I mean, FriendTech has surpassed both Farcaster and Lens in terms of users in a matter of two weeks. So pretty crazy to see what is going on there. But yeah, the Web3 Social is heating up and it's going to be exciting to see who wins that race. And then honestly, to see if they can compete with the big guns, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, going to be very, very interesting to see. It's funny how it feels like every week right now, we were talking about these big industries that we predicted back at the beginning of 2023 of like which one would be the big onboarding ramp. Hmm. And last week we were talking about, well, Web3 Social as well with FriendTech. We've talked a lot about Reddit in the past month. So Web3 Social is really coming and Reddit also is probably something is happening in the next month. We've talked about that, but right. likely community points are going to open up to other communities right now, only Moon and Brick have those community points. So, so much coming in this Web3 social arena. Well, social is the thing that we all use more than anything on the internet. And it's also the thing that's probably the most broken in terms of like monetization, business models, centralization, all that stuff. And so it's definitely got the most room to be disrupted, I think. 
not going to be an easy thing because of the amount of control that something like Facebook and Twitter and Reddit have already. But it looks like, I mean, Reddit is already going to disrupt themselves. They're going full on Web3. So it's going to be a very interesting next, I think maybe like three years watching this all play out. It's great to be playing on Farcaster Lens right now just to see what's possible because they're doing some really, really cool stuff. Some news talking about Frentech. Some news came out that Frentech had a leak and all of their data was accessible to anyone. And then Kai, you jumped all over this and shut this down. What's going on here? Was this a leak? Yeah, the block put this out and said 101,000 users were leaked. Their ETH addresses were leaked from Frentech. And they're saying that it's ETH addresses tied to a Twitter handle. So now you know who the ETH address is. And the thing that is just ridiculous about this and whoever tweeted this from the block is probably getting in some trouble is it's a public blockchain. That's the whole point. And literally the entire purpose of this app is you connect your wallet address to your Twitter account, your username, your handle in Frentech is t- your Twitter account. That's the whole point, right? We're literally monetizing or tokenizing your Twitter account. That's exactly the point. And then the way that you can do this to connect and start a Frentech if you haven't been on there is you connect your Twitter account and then you have to send to unlock it and you have to buy the first share. And so obviously you can just look at the Twitter account name and look at what was the wallet that first purchased that, that activated it. And you know, that's that person's wallet, right? And so that's the connection, but that's all public data and very easy to find. So there's absolutely no leak. I could go look at jhamilton.eth and then look at the wallet address of that. And then someone's going to be like, oh, you just leaked his wallet address. No, he didn't. It's public. He literally attached his <laughs> ENS name to his wallet address. That's the whole point. So not a leak. Don't get caught up in the clickbaits. This is just public data. And that's the whole point. Just follow Kai on Twitter and he'll make sure that you're not caught in any hype cycles. Shutting the block down. Come on, guys. Boo. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about Frentech. We did a big episode on them that came out on Tuesday where we really lay down our opinions and we had a friend, Herbie, on the show who's a prominent NFT trader and builder in the space, worked at Blur. So go back if you want to hear our opinions on Frentech. But since then, more news has come out. So let's just keep everyone updated on what's going on over at Frentech since it's basically the hottest item of the week right now. Yeah, Frentech has been a wild one. So this one's kind of funny and, and somewhat predictable. But so they've changed their, originally it was called shares. When you would buy a share of someone's Twitter account, they would call it shares. They've switched that now, renamed it to Keys, which is kind of funny. And so they tweeted this out with a picture of Keys. And the reason, or what they're saying anyway, is that they want it to better illustrate the idea that when you purchase this, you're unlocking keys to their chat room, which makes complete sense. But I also think they're probably doing this because if it's called shares, then it's very much looks like it's probably a security. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now changing the name from shares to keys doesn't change the rules around security. So like it doesn't really do anything, but I think it just makes it a little bit more conspicuous. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's just, a, it's so obvious if you call it shares. I think they, they kind of made that mistake. And so anyway, they've made that change pretty quick and early on. And I, they just got investment from Paradigm. I'm sure that was the first thing the Paradigm lawyers were like, get rid of the shares call it keys, which does make sense. I think it is better. And also it helps them. They're going to get the speculative nature of this anyway, because that's ultimately what this is. But I think they want to push in the direction of, hey, this isn't all about speculation. There is some paywall access here, which there is some utility to that. And if they add things to it, I was actually thinking, I don't know if we put this tweet up here, but I tweeted it out. I was thinking, I think it was like two days ago. I actually think Frentech has room to go much bigger. At first I was like, oh, 150 holders, you're at almost like two, 2.5 ETH to buy a share. Like no one's, or a key, no one's going to do that. And then I thought, well, what about when they add images and videos and the porn industry comes on here? Well, only fans. Only fans. That's what I mean. People pay so much. And so I got a feeling that whenever they unlock images and videos, this thing's going to go nuts. And these 150 holders at two ETH is going to be nothing. And they're going to go to, I don't know how much, but a lot more ETH, I imagine. Just a quick reminder for everybody, the way Frentech works is once you set up your account, every time somebody buys a set of keys, they pay, it starts at like 0.001 ETH and then it goes up on a compounding curve. So it rises with each purchase and the top creators now cost like 2.5 ETH to get a set of keys to get into 
their private chat room. It's uh, so, like five grand, right? Like that's pretty yeah. insane to just get Which some text from someone. So, but I think when there's video, I think this whole thing changes. So we'll see. And I already saw there's a bunch of, I mean, there are some non-crypto people that are using this now, which is quite interesting. And I've seen there are some OnlyFans type people that are getting on here. And so they're starting to reach the top. It's kind of useless because it's still image and video. But when that comes, which I don't think it'll be for a little bit because, I mean, they can barely handle the traffic right now with their current server setup. That thing's always frozen and not really working when you try to use it. So they've got some room to improve before they do that. But I could see that making a big deal. But either way, I still don't think front tech is the the thing. I think people are going to fork it and you know change things up. And there's going to be a lot of different things. We've had some good chats in our Discord, actually. I think it was in the pro discussion channel. Uh, lots of individuals which are sharing just like different bond curve mechanisms. So different ways of making those share prices go up or down that might make it more scalable, which is quite interesting to see. So we'll see if anyone does that. All right, let's shift over to base, which is everybody's darling during Unchained Summer. Some yes. Unchained, on-chain Summer, excuse me. Unchained? This is pretty crazy. So remember, base launched August 9th. We're sitting at August 24th as we record this. So it's only been just over two weeks. And base has just surpassed in daily transactions, Arbitrum and Optimism combined combined. Now these two have been around for since September, 2021 bases have been around for two weeks. Now, a lot of these transactions are friend tech. And so is that sustainable? We'll see. Don't know. The only fans people could make it very sustainable, but let's find out. But I mean, there, there's other things happening on base too, but I don't want to call it a hype cycle. Cause like, I think base is definitely going to be something really big in the future, but I think the numbers we're seeing right now in terms of transactions, if you've read our L2 report today, that was released, I talked a little bit about the economics of L2s. And so last week I talked about the activity going on in different chains, which actually we noted BASE's activity there. But then this time we talked about the economics, the tokenomics and the value accrual, where we talked about the profit that BASE is making right now on chain. And it's insane. Like it's way more than options in Arbitrum. But again, I don't think that that holds up. I think it's just the excitement of this sort of launch. It probably comes back down. And then I think over time it grows and it grows exponentially. It will be just like way, way, way higher than these numbers. But I think we're a little bit hyped right now, but let's see. I mean, if Frentech just doesn't slow down, there's obviously just more and more apps launching on base daily. So who knows? Maybe it's just a sign to come that L2s are about to just take on a rocket ship and go to the moon. I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I do think hype cycle is the right term to use. I know it's, I also hesitate to use it because it has such a like FUD like feeling right. to it right. and we're not suggesting that base has any fud both of us big believers in base and their future but the definition of a hype cycle is when a company creates a lot of hype and right yeah, now base time. and coinbase is they're spending millions of dollars on a marketing campaign called on-chain summer where they have activations every single day and that creates a lot of hype and a lot of excitement, which is great. Like huge high fives of their marketing team. They're absolutely crushing it. And let's be real. They also, the timing was very good in that it's the on-chain world is pretty much quiet right now. Like DeFi is not a lot is happening. Trading, not a lot is happening. And so NFTs, nobody's very excited about that. So, and we're a small community still of only I don't know, a few million people that are actively on chain. So we all kind of moved over to base because that's where the energy is. That's where the right. excitement is. So I don't know. Like I think I believe long-term in base, but I think like unless they're going to run on-chain fall and on-chain winter and continue to do something every single day that keeps energy and excitement. If we go into a bull market come September, October, like in, in ter- I think we're already in a bull market, but in terms of like if numbers really start to go, the shit could just continue to go up and up and up. But my assumption is like they've made $2.5 million in two weeks from base in terms yes. of like profit. Yes. I don't think you, you can annualize that out right now. I think it's going to come back to reality a little bit. There's also probably people farming the airdrop, right? Uh, sure. Not that there's an airdrop coming anytime soon, but like it's going to come eventually. And people are like, I got to get my money on there. I got to get some transactions in, get some of the early stuff because they're likely to get rewarded. But again, that's just speculation. Yeah. Speaking just while we're talking about that, if you have not already bridged over to base, recommend you go do that. You can go back and read our article where we talk about how to do that and the steps there. 
And the free mint of the week, this has been a free mint for a while, but Base still has a free mint. I think it's up for like one more week. I think it's to the end of the month. It's on Zora to celebrate the launch of Base. So great way. In order to mint that, you have to bridge over to Base. So super simple, great way to go do it. So make sure you go do that. You got any more, Kai, on that? Or can we move on to Circle and Coinbase? <laughs> Gosh, Coinbase just dominating. This is really big. So, I mean, I think still that stable coins is just the biggest thing that we've created by a long shot. I think there's just billions of people that need this. And so I think it's the biggest thing that we've created, the most important thing. USDC being one of the, well, I still believe probably the most important of them all. USDT tethers is still the biggest. It has actually been the one growing. And USDC hasn't since they're DPEG, but in terms of like regulated and probably the safest, like I, I think it's still USDC. But just yesterday, there's some big news that came out that Circle, which is the like the company that creates and manages USDC and Coinbase have partnered along here. And so basically what they've done is Coinbase has invested in Circle. So they now have an equity stake in the company, which is a pretty big deal. I think you've got the two powerhouse companies in this space, right? Coinbase and Circle are, are two of the biggest in the US anyway. And now they have sort of joined up. They have a joint partnership in this to see Circle win, to see USDC make it into the world of crypto, but into the world of mainstream as well. Now that their interests are aligned, this is a really big deal. What this has also done as they've sort of changed their raving because they've always had a bit of a partnership. But now what they're doing is Circle will maintain full control over USDC in terms of like issuing it, governing it, the product and technology. Coinbase is now just sort of like a investor and then obviously is going to support on a lot of things in terms of regulatory stuff, in terms of like just reach and getting this out there and UX, all that kind of stuff. Like Coinbase will now find lots of ways to integrate it, I'm sure within their app and tech stack. And so lots going on there. The other part of this that's really cool is Circle has, or sorry, USDC is going to be launched on six new blockchains. So it's already on a bunch. I mean, you can use USDC on like Ethereum, Solana, Algorand, Arbitrum, but now they've launched on six new ones, which I believe are Optimism Base. Of course, those were pretty obvious that that was going to come up. Polkadot, Near, Cosmos, and through a, a chain called, I think it's called Noble. And then finally, and that's all happening within the next month. And then next, I think it's in October, they will launch on Polygon Proof of Stake as well. So USDC is going to be available basically on every chain. But now what's cool is just available on a bunch of like faster chains, like a lot of L2s, obviously. There's two of them there, then Polygon will eventually become one. It's a big deal. One of the big issues of why people don't use USDC right now is they prefer USDT, at least in like South America, Africa, et cetera, because USDT is what you use on Binance and on Tron, which are very, very cheap chains. The problem is they are not secure decentralized chains. So it's a little bit scary using those. Now we have them on Ethereum, but then also on you know L2s. So I think that's going to be a really big deal. I'm curious how many of our listeners use stablecoins. So uh, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, we have a poll today asking you if you use stablecoins and which stablecoins you do use. would love to get an idea of which ones you guys are using so we know which ones to keep you guys informed on because we are active users of stablecoins, both USDT and USDC in our business. But really interesting to get a perspective from you guys. And if you're watching on YouTube, just put it in the comments as well. All right. Solana and Shopify. Man, well, there's just so much awesome shit going down right now. Speaking of USDC, so again, just to kind of iterate on why USDC and stablecoin is such a big deal is, yes, we want people to use Bitcoin and ETH, these like decentralized assets, but the problem is they're super volatile. And so like mainstream's never going to use that. Well, I don't want to say never. For a long time, they're not going to use this to buy stuff, right? But they will use USDC. Why? Because it's just a dollar. It's the same as, you know, what they're already paying in. There's no difference to them and there's no risk and like no volatility in it, right? So it's easy for people to move from just a, a normal dollar to USDC. Now, why would they do it? Well, because it's much cheaper and faster and it settles immediately. So what we've done, what's happened here is Solana Pay is integrating in with Shopify. Shopify is, I think, other than you know Amazon, the biggest in the world in terms of like e-commerce. And so I think in the US, Shopify is 10% of all e-commerce, which is pretty crazy. And then globally, it's like $440 billion, which is just 
insanely massive. And so now what they've done is they've included what's called, I think it's like a widget or a, an integration, like a plugin basically for Shopify, where you can plug in Solana Pay. And now people can pay on Solana with their wallet using, and they can just basically tap their phone using Solana Pay and pay with USDC. Now, why is this a big deal? Well, whenever you pay with credit card uh, to any store and you buy anything, they charge anywhere from 1.5% like to 3% to the merchant, so to the store, and then plus like 30 cents or whatever. And so like, if you go to a convenience store and you buy a chocolate bar for $1.50, Stripe or Visa or whoever is taking 30 cents plus 1% to 3%. So the 1% to 3%, not that big of a deal on a small purchase of like a dollar, you know, a buck 50, but that 30 cents that's on top of it, that's a pretty big deal. And so they're taking more than a quarter of the entire sale of that chocolate bar, which like a store's margins are not that big. So it's almost bad for a, and you see a lot of convenience stores don't accept credit cards for things like under five bucks. Using Solana Pay, using USDC, it's free. It costs the like the person to make that transaction like 0.0000001, right? Fractions of a penny. And, and that's it. It costs nothing to the merchant and it's settled immediately. So with credit card, for example, when someone signs up for our pro reports or buys our courses or whatever, it takes a few days for that money to actually get settled and then come into our account. We don't get it immediately. And so things can happen in the interim of that time. Whereas when you use blockchain, it's immediate settlement. It's immediate and it's essentially free. You can't call it free, but it's basically free. So it's a 10x improvement on payments. And we've never really had the like technology to like actually use it. Like connecting your MetaMask wallet to go make a payment in your convenience store would be terrible. Even to do it on Shopify is not that great. But Solana Pay makes this super seamless. And so that's pretty cool. And I think will be something that, you know, really takes off. Well, and the big sort of catalyst of us as of the masses using crypto to buy everyday things is really that people are starting to be paid in crypto for their jobs, right? And that is only in certain parts of the world. It's not in North America or it's minimal in North America unless you're in like a DAO or something like that. But in other parts of the world, this is becoming much more common. In Russia and the Ukraine, where there's so many issues right now getting money into the country. If you're a Russian, but you work outside of Russia, you can't use the SWIFT network, so you need to use crypto rails. If you're in Argentina or Venezuela or one of these countries where your currency is inflating constantly, then you also want to be paid in crypto. So as more people are paid in crypto, which usually is a stable coin that they're paid in, well, do they want to then go exchange that stable coin back into a currency? No, that's a bad idea. You're going to lose money on the transaction. It's going to take time. I don't even actually know. There would be a difficult thing to do, to be honest, versus if you can just leave it in the stable coin and then spend dollars in that stable coin, which now with Shopify integrating with Solana, if you had USDC, you could go onto a Shopify store. You could buy. That's most of, like you said, 10% of the US is e-commerce is on Shopify. That's a lot of things that you can now buy. Like you can start to see the way this whole cycle plays out for the average person. Well, and the thing is, is that once you have money in the crypto world, it's a bit costly to get it out of the crypto world. Like to get it into, you know, your normal fiat currency, there's a fee of, you know, one to X percent, whatever that is, right? And so that kind of sucks, especially if it's bigger amounts. Like if you got like 10K or 100K and you're going to pay 1% on that, that's pretty significant. That sucks, right? That's a thousand bucks if you get 100K. So no one wants to do that. The thing is, is that every year more and more people are starting to get paid or receive crypto for different things. Why? Because it's much cheaper, right? Whether it's paying employees, it's just not possible in some ways, or it's cheaper to send. If you've got to send like a wire transfer, that costs you 15 bucks, or I can send it on an L2 and it costs me half a penny, right? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I pay out that way? Like we just said with payments, there's this one to 3% charge. Well, it makes sense. More payments are going to come in crypto, which means more companies will be getting crypto. And again, they don't want to take that money and move it over into fiat because they're going to get charged on that. And so the more that we can make these ways seamless to just spend in it, you never have to go back to the fiat world. And then the last note I'll put in this is if you've never been through a cycle 
for those that go through a cycle and they do it successfully, but they don't lose all their crypto, which unfortunately a large percent do, what you'll notice is when you come through the other end of the cycle, most of your net worth will be crypto because crypto goes up 20, 30, 40x in a cycle, right? And so let's say you put in a thousand bucks or $10,000 and then you have your $10,000 saved in your retirement account. When you go through a cycle, all of a sudden you have $100,000 in crypto and still your 10,000, maybe it went up 10% or something over in your normal fiat world. And so what ends up happening is once you've been in crypto for a number of years, your net worth becomes predominantly in crypto, but you can't do anything with it, which is one is a good thing. Like being early in this space has been great because you just, you buy it and then you don't sell it because you, you don't want to take it out. So it's actually been like a savior, but eventually you're going to want to start to use that money to buy things. And so now it's becoming much, much easier to do so. That's the other point of it I just want to make. It's just so exciting to see all of these like real use cases. We all talk about this so much, the need for use cases that take us to a billion people. Well, they're happening right now. The tech is being built to allow this all to happen. And that sort of leads me into our next story, which I am absolutely fired up about this. Helium has launched Helium Mobile, which is a mobile plan for $5 a month. $5 a month, unlimited mobile plan. This is talk, text, and data. Unlimited for $5 a month. Like That is absolutely mind-boggling that there could be a plan that costs that much. Now you're probably thinking like, yeah, right, this must be a scam or it must not actually like work. It's probably like one of those carriers where you leave your city and you get no reception anymore and no coverage. Well, let me explain how this works. So it works off what they call is dynamic coverage. So dynamic coverage combines two areas of coverage. First is the people-powered network. And the people-powered network is individuals and businesses around the world, but mostly in America, because that's where they're focused right now, who set up hotspots in their house or in their business. And that hotspot is connected to their internet and it takes their internet and then it feeds out a wavelength. It's called band 48, which is a 5G wavelength that allows anybody within I think it's like a few hundred kilometers can connect to that hotspot and then use data. And so that is the people-powered network. And then they're also backed by, they made an agreement with T-Mobile, which is the largest 5G network in America. And their agreement with T-Mobile is like their backstop. So right now, this plan is only available in Miami. But if you were to leave Miami, which obviously if you live Miami, I'm sure you leave Miami and go elsewhere in the U.S., well, you want you don't want your cell phone to not work. Well, all of a sudden T-Mobile kicks in. And because they bought this wholesale from T-Mobile, they got they're able to, that's why they're able to offer it at this five dollars a month. Now, I don't exactly know the numbers and I feel like probably not profitable at the moment, it's but probably okay. exactly you gotta probably not profitable right now. If you go to their website, they're really pushing this like more people to set up hotspots because they need this people-powered network to to work in order and for this to function. The interesting thing about these hotspots, just to help people wrap their heads around it, is when you buy your data, right, or your internet, you often get unlimited or you get, I don't know, a ridiculous amount that you don't use, which means you have extra data that's just sitting that you're paying for yeah. that is just not getting used. And so what you can do is when you hook up this, I forget what the name of it is called, this hotspot thing through Helium, you can take that extra data and you make a little bit of whatever coin it is from it. So you make some money by sharing that. And that's what they do is they compile all that together and then they give it to others who are paying five bucks a month. So yes. really, really interesting model. The other companies that do this is is also through storage. So think of like clouds, so like Acash, and there's a few others that do this where basically a lot of us have extra like iCloud or what's the Amazon one, AWS and Azure, et cetera. A lot of us have extra storage. And so you can do the same thing with Acash, where you can share that, they compile it all together. And now you have cheaper storage, but it's also decentralized storage. If AWS goes down, it's okay, because you also have yeah. from all the other ones, right? And so same idea here too, this would technically be decentralized data in the sense that if one you know, one thing goes down, you still have it coming from a bunch of other pieces of the internet. So interesting model for yeah. sure. And it all works on the back 
of using blockchain to give rewards to the people that power the network. So right. you get mobile tokens is the name of the token that you get in rewards. Where I see this being very effective is for a business. So imagine you're a gym, right? And you have hundreds of people coming through your gym every day. Well, set up a bunch of these hotspots and now anybody that's in your gym, as long as they are on Helium, you're going to start to make revenue off of, it's just another revenue source for you, right? Yes. You'll make revenue off of their, using their cell phones while they're in your facility, which obviously they're doing. So I see really big potential. The one thing that is like, I'm curious to, and we're trying to get Helium on the podcast to talk to them is obviously a lot of carriers. So like, let's say T-Mobile is your carrier for your internet, and that's what you're hooking this hotspot off. Well, carriers have terms and conditions, which a lot of these carriers have terms and conditions that say you are not allowed to do this, right? So, and directly on Helium's website, when there's the FAQ and it asks like, am I allowed to do this basically? And they're like, we do not give legal advice. Make sure you read our <laughs> terms and conditions. So that's the one area that I wonder if they would have problems in the future because maybe all the carriers catch on and are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, the direct competitor. Exactly. Yeah, that's the weird part of it is people still need to pay the other carriers in order for this model to work. It doesn't really make sense to me long term. I'd like to speak to them and like get to the bottom of their long term plan. Because ultimately, if they need everyone running a hotspot for this to work, which you do, you need a lot of people in every city doing this. That means they all have to still be paying you know, T-Mobile or whoever to get that hotspot to give to this one. So like, who are the lucky ones that get the $5 unlimited that don't need to pay for internet? somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like, unless it's people are paying for the internet at home for their computers, and then they just get their phone is what they're getting for five bucks. Instead of having to pay a hundred for your internet at home and a hundred for your phone, you get the five. That kind of makes sense actually. So maybe that's not, I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll yes, figure it out. Whatever it is, if you're in Miami, I would definitely check this out. And if you do have this, would love to hear what the reception, does it work well? Everything I've read from user feedback is that it works great and they're loving it. So kudos to Helium. Would love to get you guys on the show. We'll figure that out next in the next while here. OpenSea causing an absolute stir this week. Whoa. Okay. Let me bring you up to speed because a lot happened here over the past week with OpenSea. First up, OpenSea announced that they were shutting down the operator filter registry. All right. If you remember, we talked a lot about the operator filter registry back in January when they launched it. This was their registry to enforce royalties. So a project, an NFT collection would build on top of the operator filter registry and then OpenSea would enforce royalties because you were on top of that operator filter registry. And by being involved in that operator filter registry, your project would not appear on zero marketplace, zero royalty marketplaces. So it was a way to ensure that your project still had royalties. And OpenSea was the champion of this. They were the ones that said, hey, we believe in royalties. We're going to build this operator, fil operator filter registry and we're going to bring the entire, all the players in the space that care about royalties together on this. It was a I think a great move for them and everybody was stoked. So now they're saying we're sunsetting the operator filter registry and we are no longer enforcing royalties on OpenSea. Okay, so that happened first. Then the next day, OpenSea Pro comes out and says, with the upcoming change to creator fees, we will be adding a 0.5% platform fee on all listings. So it's like, slapped in the face on one side, slapped in the face on the other side. People are up and up in arms because OpenSea says they're, they're basically dropping royalties. And then OpenSea Pro, not OpenSea, OpenSea Pro, which is their pro platform when they it was built off Gem when they purchased Gem, is going to put fees back in. Obviously, people are like, what the fuck? This sucks. Don't like it. Yuga Labs, defender of the people, defender of the community, comes out and says, Based upon Op OpenSea's decision to sunset the operator filter, we're out. 
They say, we're leaving OpenSea. We're going to basically any of our contracts that we can, we're going to upgrade so that they don't support the OpenSea seaport, which is their protocol. And as of February 2024, we will no longer list on OpenSea. And then Beeple says, yeah, right on. And he makes this dope image of a ape uh, laser shooting like a pirate ship and sinking it, uh, indicating that Yuga Labs versus OpenSea and Yuga Labs is going to take OpenSea down because Yuga Labs collections, Board Ape Yacht Club and the various collections in Yuga Labs account for 25% of OpenSea's volume. So this is a big deal for them to lose Yuga Labs. Kai, do you want to jump in now or I'm, I'm kind of rolling with no, this story it was great I, I think it's 15 percent, not 25 percent. as last 15 i think it's 15 yeah though a lot of people on twitter respecting it was 80 percent. that was false i don't know why that got picked up around twitter that's not true i don't know do you want me to give my comments first or do you want to finish up with more let me finish this story okay, okay so then rareable comes out rareable is another nft marketplace and they say we support royalties we always have and we always will and so they say by september 30th if you're listed on Rarible.com, Rarible is an aggregator of other NFT marketplaces. We will no longer aggregate orders from OpenSea, LooksRare, or XY, X2Y2, which are three zero royalty marketplaces. Okay, so they say, yeah, we're on this other side. We're for the creator royalties. I'm going to pause. I'll pause there. So on the OpenSea side... First of all, whoever's running that company is just doing a terrible job. It's an ad, like just misfall after misfall after misfall over the last you know year or so. This whole idea of, okay, we're going to remove creator fees and then one day later say we're also going to add platform fees. So like we're going to screw over the creators, but we're going to make money here now is insane. Like, look, I think the reason they're doing it makes sense. They're doing it because if you don't add it, especially on OpenSea Pro, people can wash trade and farm, which is what people always do at FTs. And so they need a bit of cost to stop people from doing that. Okay, I get why they've done it. But a day after they announced that they're getting rid of creative freezing, is it, do they not have anyone from PR in that company? Like <laughs> that is so obvious that that's going to go bad and look really, really bad. And of course, people are going to cause a scene about that. So like, come on, do they even have meetings in that company to be like, hey, how should we do this? Like if you're going to blow up the industry and piss a bunch of people off, probably don't add platform fees in the same week. You like it's just so obvious. So anyway, I think OpenSea has just completely it's crazy. They were a massive massive company. They were sort of like the unicorn. They were making a ton of money. They got a bunch of investment. They were the leader by just a mile. I think my problem with them is they just have flip-flopped around, right? Like they just didn't they just didn't stick to whatever it was they wanted. They just were like okay, we're going to compete with Blur. We're going to get rid of fees. Then we're going to add them back. And then we're going to get rid of them. Then we're going to add them back. And it's like, we'll get rid of platform fees. We're going to add them back. It's like, guys, what are you doing? And I just think the one thing was when this whole thing first happened, when people realized, oh, you can't enforce creator royalties, you and I both said, we're like, oh, this is it. This is it for royalties. It's going to zero. There's just, there's no doubt. And there will be, it'll take some time, but ultimately markets are efficient and money flows where it can go the easiest, right? Where it's treated best. And that means it'll flow where it's cheapest. And always, 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 that's how it works on every single technology. And so it was obvious that if there was an option for zero fees, then that's how it's going to go, right? It's just the way it works. And you got to think that OpenSea understood that. And so like build a plan around that and figure out a new model and go with the flow on that. And they just, they, they didn't, they just kind of flip-flopped back and forth. And it's just like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I either stick with it if you want to stick with it, which I think was probably the bad idea because obviously everyone else was going to undercut you or go the other way and just figure something else out that would work. And they just, I don't know, they didn't do that. It's a sad story to me because yeah, I, I loved OpenSea. I, I think most people in the space loved OpenSea they were the first NFT marketplace that we all use. They always are going to have that cachet, that feeling of like, oh yeah, my first trade, my first purchase is on OpenSea. And they're like a rudderless ship that is just without vision. And it is such a reminder to any company, big or small, if you cannot clearly explain 
your purpose and what you stand for and what your vision is, then you got to go write that down immediately. And the OpenSea does not have that. And that is what has led to this is they said they believe in royalties, but they didn't really believe in royalties. They were only doing this, I think, because they thought it was going to allow them to compete with Blur. And then it didn't work. And so now there's changing course in order to try to become Blur. You're not Blur. Don't try to be Blur. Be you, whatever that is. And look, I believe that there is a a place for a collector's marketplace that does charge royalties because I believe that there will be collectors who want to reward the, the creators. Now, I'm not talking about like large million dollar brands and million dollar companies. I'm talking about bands and artists and creators that deserve to make a royalty on their work. I believe in that. And so I think there's a place for that. Now, is that going to be the biggest marketplace? Probably not, because as Kai said, most will go towards zero royalties. But I think there's a percentage of people that will want to pay royalties. There is. I think it's very small, but also like they did give the ability to optional creator royalties. It's not like it's sure. gone. You can still do it. And so for those people that do want to pay royalties, go pay royalties. That's fine. But I think most people aren't, especially in the way that the NFT market is set up now. Most people are not going to do that. The other thing I think OpenSea should have, and it's obviously we're you know, farther along now, it's hard for them to predict this in the future. But I think what Rarible did of creating the NFT marketplace as a service, mm-hmm. this is the model I think OpenSea should have done is creator royalties should have always been optional because they just are optional on chain anyway. And so you can't fake it and take a platform fee of whatever percent. Okay. So at least you get some revenue or get rid of that for people who pay for a subscription or whatever, and then make the L2 as a service. And of course, when you have your own empty marketplaces, you can enforce royalties, right? Like what Rarible does. And if you want to whitelist your own marketplace, because people have to use your site and it's the only way to do it as long as you create experiences that just are unlike the general purpose of empty marketplace. Mm-hmm. Pretty obvious that that was a smart move that Rarible is building that. How does OpenSea not do that? You know, this is like the L, we think of L2s, right? You got optimism that they charge, a, they get a small profit from what they do. And they're like, well, a bunch of people are going to create L2s. So let's create the stack for them. So they can have the L2 as a service product. We'll take a cut from them. We'll help them. We'll build some extra things for them. So they'll want to pay us 10% or whatever. And there you go. Now they're making money from their own, plus anyone else that comes along. That's what OpenSea should have done and still should do. They don't know what they're doing. They're building operator filters and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, well, well, at least things at a distance. And just to further pull on that thread of the branded marketplace or the white label marketplace, a great example of that is Mattel. Mattel, the toy company, which owns Hot Wheels. So Hot Wheels has a, a full NFT, a thriving NFT ecosystem and marketplace. And it's all built on a rareable, it's a rareable marketplace that they built on top. But what they are doing is they're making it in a way where the UX fits the needs that they have. So what I mean when I say that is the way you collect Hot Wheels is in like sets, okay? And so if you go on to the Mattel marketplace with Hot Wheels and you connect your wallet, what it does is it shows you the full set and it shows you which NFTs within that set you own. And then the ones that you don't own are like grayed out basically, right? Mm -hmm. So that is a great example of obviously you're going to buy that makes you want to come back to that marketplace to and buy under your general one like obitsy can't offer that you know they exactly. have to do that for every single collection and there's thousands and what of tens of thousands whatever there is so that makes sense yes. and that's what we're going to see we're going to see yes there will be there will blur totally hate what they did with wash trading hate the way they farmed and made everybody that really tanked the market as a result of that. But I believe in their business, their business as a, the NFT trader platform for traders, for like day-to-day traders makes a ton of sense. Long-term that's still going to be here. Right. But I'm not sure like OpenSea is just playing this lost game right now. It's so confusing. What's the other story here in terms of numbers, Kai? People just keep saying that NFTs are dead. Well, yeah. And people are like, well, OpenSea not only screwed it up, but they're also in this industry that's going to zero anyway. And the interesting thing is like, 
it's not at all like the volume is actually up like crazy when you look year over year the problem is people look month over month right and so of course in a bull cycle when we talk about a hype cycle things were extremely 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 overvalued in 2021 like obviously it was pretty apparent okay but now that they're coming back to sort of their more normal prices whether we're there or not is up for debate if we look at the difference in the growth of 2018, 2019, 2020, we are up 300,000% in NFT volumes from 2018, 18,000% since 2019, and 9,700% since 2020. That's two and a half years ago. We're up 9,700%. Even though, go down to the image here for those that are watching, it looks like we have this huge dip, which we do have this huge dip, but from inflated numbers that make no sense, but if you just compare to 2020 to now, we're up 9,700%. Do you understand how big that is? That's insane, right? That's ma- It's a 100x since three years ago, even though people are like, oh my God, this whole industry is dead. What industries in the world go up 100x in a matter of two and a half years? Not many. So this thing is nowhere near dead. We just are coming back to normal prices, which is exactly what happened in 2017, 2018 with ICOs and fungible tokens. Fungible tokens aren't dead. We use those like crazy all over. We all use them. And you know they had the same sort of look and feel back in 2017, 2018. So um, the NFT market is up, up, up bigly. And so there's still plenty of room for marketplaces to do extremely well and be very important part of this industry. Is OpenSea going to be that? Oh, I don't know. They had to lead by so much. I've never seen a company just screw up so much though. This is crazy. It's just yeah, just sad. Okay, let's let's talk about some specific NFT projects. Are NFTs dead or are they not? They should be after all these fails we're about to go through because this whole thing's a disaster. They're not all fails. They're not all fails. We got to share that there too. All right, so D Gods, we've covered this a lot. They announced season three, right? And when they did that, they basically just got eighty six percent of these four hundred fifty five NFTs were dumped into bids, basically. So 86% of them have since been dumped by the buyer. And it's gone from, what is this here? Oh, this is total trades, is this? Mm-hmm. In 48 hours? Basically what this is, is the floor price and the amount of D-Gods has just gone, it's just tanked. And yeah. really the story here is, if an NFC ever says an announcement of an announcement of a season, get the hell out. Because they all do this and they all tank because they're just going to launch another collection, which is not good for anyone except for that owners of the collection. We saw this with D-Gods. We saw this with Azuki. We saw this with, I don't even know, the list goes on and on and on. So as soon as you hear announcement of announcement, sell immediately. Yeah. The hype can never live up to the expectation or it's very, maybe, maybe 0.01% of the time it does, but yeah. it's very difficult for it to do that. And yeah, I feel, look, I like the team behind the gods. I believe in them, but doing a big announcement around season three and then all season three is, is you can pay money to change the art of your NFT. Like, I'm sorry, but like, I like art, but in season two, you could pay money. You, sorry, you could change the art for free. Okay. That's fun. That's engaging. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you'll get my eyeballs. I'll come back. I'll change my art. I'll talk about it on Twitter and I'll give you some, and then we'll create a bunch of hype and everybody will want to you know, come into the gods, but now they're charging money to change the art. And the reason that they're charging money is because they left, they're moving Utes from Polygon to Ethereum and they have to pay $3 million back to Polygon for the grant that they got from Polygon. And so they need $3 million in liquidity. And that's the reason that they're charging money. So you, so they can cover that. Like, what are you doing? The joke. Absolute joke. Okay. Positive side of because these aren't all negative. Adidas has partnered with Bape. Bape is a leading luxury streetwear brand. I bring it up because Kai had never heard of them before we started recording today. Wow, can you sue me like that? <laughs> I'll bet you a lot of our listeners don't necessarily know Bape either. Although there does seem to be a, it's a good thing that everybody in crypto and Web3 have feet. Because feet. Because sneakers... And Web3 is yeah. just got this incredible thing going. Well, don't forget Feet Picks. That was a big collection for a little bit there. <laughs> I didn't even think about Feet Picks. But like Nike has been doing so well. Puma has been doing well. Adidas has been doing well. We had Crocs partner with Doodles recently. Anyways, let me tell you what Adidas, Adidas and Bape have partnered 
on a physical shoe. There's a limited edition. There's be a hundred physical shoes that's going to be released. But in order to get these physical shoes, they're not selling the shoes. They're selling an NFT. So you purchase the NFT and the NFT is going to be sold through auction. So you purchase the NFT. And then when you get the NFT, you can redeem it for the shoes. Now, why I love this is because let's say you, you're a shoe collector, which a ton of people are, and these shoes are such limited edition, they're going to go for thousands of dollars. And then you are buying these shoes, maybe not necessarily because you want to wear them, because you want to collect them. Well, if you're a collector, there's a lot of benefits to being able to access a liquid market for your collections. And NFTs have a much more liquid market than the market for physical shoes. There is a large market for physical shoes. There's websites like StockX and places where you can sell. But if you are a collector of shoes, there's a benefit to having an NFT first. And then if you wanted to redeem it for the shoes, you could. Or if you just want to keep it as an NFT, you can keep it as an NFT forever. And then you can sell that NFT and then the next person can redeem it for the shoes. So love to see it. The other thing that was cool about this is if you're an alt holder, which is Adidas NFT collection, then you can you get a boost on your bid. You get a 10% boost on your bid if you bid on these BAPES, which is a great, simple way to throw some utility back to your holders. All right, Jay, let's rip through these last couple here. This next one here is Azuki's has partnered with Patrick Mahomes, who is the, I don't know if he won the Super Bowl last year or not. I think he did. But anyway, he's probably the best quarterback in the league in a random partnership of launching an NFT trading card, an exclusive one, a limited edition. Why Azuki and Patrick Mahomes do this? I have no idea. Patrick Mahomes is like American sport guy, like jock. And then Azuki's is like anime probably more like on the Asia side that doesn't play football, just makes no sense. I, I got a feeling this is like, Zuki has just completely screwed up as well, their project. And now they're just, they've got a bunch of money. They're like, what do we do? What do we do? We need to fix something. And they're like, oh, Patrick Mahomes, he does a lot of commercials. Let's just pay him a couple million dollars and we'll mint a couple NFTs and that'll revive our brand. And so that's what they did. And it makes zero sense. Next. <laughs> Next. Next. Cool Cats, the CEO of Cool Cats has stepped down. Look, this is it fits it nicely in line with the Degods and the Azuki stories, which is most of these companies are run by young men who were the first to launch an NFT collection. They usually have an artist involved in the team. They're tech nerds, so they understood NFTs early. And they launched a collection and they made a whole bunch of money and they built a community on the back of that. And I'm not taking away from anything that they've done, but now they need to go build a sustainable, profitable business. And that is a much different skill set. And I met the founder of Cool Cats at NFT NYC a few years ago. And look, lovely kid, very nice, but no offense, looks like he lives in his mom's basement and is not the type of guy that I would invest in and believe that he can go run a multi-million dollar company and make it successful. So I'm not surprised to see this change in leadership out of Cool Cats. And this is why you got to be careful with you're going to invest in NFTs and why I'm not investing any money in NFTs right now. Yeah, I mean, even the D-Gods founder, one of them stepped down as well, like yeah. six days after they had that problem of their their launch. And it's like, guys, you got to remember that these people are just, they're opportunists. They happen to be early in this stuff because they were quick to go and launch something. They didn't create any value. They just launched NFT really quick when it was in that hype cycle. They made a shit ton of money and they have no idea what they're doing. And yet people are putting tens of thousands of dollars into these NFTs. And it's just like, what did you think was going to happen? It's terrible. Anyway, we'll leave it at that. Hopefully the CEO is not a listener of our podcast because you just told him he looks like he lives in his mom's basement. Sound like me a little bit. <laughs> okay, let's check in on our person of the month. We had a great vote going down on Twitter this month for the person of the month. The vote was between Jesse Polak, Anthony Sassano, Punks99059, and Colin Armstrong. And the winner, not a surprise, Jesse Polak over at base, the man behind base all over Twitter, just crushing it with on-chain summer and really bringing the good vibes. I want to shout out Jesse for just 
you know what? Thank you for bringing good vibes into the space, for bringing so much great energy. It's been a while since I've had so much fun in crypto. And a lot of that credit goes to Jesse and his whole team over at Base. Shout out. Congrats, Jesse. You are the Web3 person of the month. On Chain Summer, baby. Just killing it. That's a wrap, Kai. Wow. What what an episode. So much exciting stuff happening in the space. As we mentioned at the beginning, if you are subscribed to our newsletter on Paragraph, go and connect your wallet if you haven't already. So you're already connected to your email, but make sure you connect your wallet address. Then you can start to read our newsletter in Coinbase Wallet or in Lens Protocol. Also, check out our poll if you're listening on Spotify. We'd love to know which stable coins you are using. Have an awesome weekend, everybody. We'll check you out next week. See you around. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note. This podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.